Good morning. Uh, we are going to continue today uh, preaching um, out of the Word of God. We've been looking the last few weeks at various attributes of God. Um, Matt taught and preached about God, our healer, that he is our healing. Um, he preached on the faithfulness of God. I, I taught out of Esther about the fact that God is ever with us, working. The uh, unseen hand of God is always at work. Um, and today, I would like to uh, teach, preach, and it's not going to be very long, um, on the subject, God is my salvation. Just the make that declaration, God is my salvation. This morning, when I got up, I was in the kitchen, and I just said out loud, who is like our God? And Kath answered, she said, there is no one like our God. And that's, that's the right answer. That's, that's the whole point, isn't it? There is, there is none like our God. And so all these other attributes are so important as we preach on God and the nature of God and who, what our God is like. Uh, one of the cries that has been the dominant cry, it's been, a, it's been a prayer and it's been a song that has been sung by believers throughout the history of man is this one phrase, God is my salvation, or the Lord is my salvation, or at other times it's the Lord is my rock and my salvation. That's been the cry of the people of God throughout history again and again and again. And we first read it in, in or hear that cry in Exodus 15 when Moses, after they have passed through the Red Sea, writes a song, and he sings this song, and he says, The Lord is my strength, Exodus 15, 2, and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. It was the same declaration, the same prayer, the same song that David sang in 2 Samuel 22 when the Lord delivered him from the hand of Saul. David said this, he wrote this, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge. He says it two times, my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence. It's almost though David couldn't think of enough ways to say the same thing, that God is my salvation. It was in the heart of Hannah in, in, in 1 Samuel 2, after the Lord healed her of her barrenness and blessed her with a son who she named Samuel. And she said this, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. It was by far the dominant theme of David's psalms and the other psalmists throughout the psalms. Again and again and again you read this, this truth of God being our salvation, our rock, our deliverer. He wrote in Psalm 27, 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In Psalm 62, he says, Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. And it's even used in Psalm 74, 12, 
to speak of God's victory over the powers of chaos in the beginning when he created, over the chaos of the creation, the psalmist writes, Yet my, God my King is from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. And then the psalmist goes on to describe in that psalm the power of God as he brings order to God's creation. So this, this theme that God is my salvation is a dominant theme throughout Scripture <clears throat> And it's been the cry of the people of God. And it is today still the cry of the people of God. And I want to look at this from the book of Isaiah, chapter 12, if you would turn there with me. It's a short chapter. I want to actually just read the whole chapter because it's very short. But I'm going to primarily be looking at these first two verses. But let's read Samuel, excuse me, uh, Isaiah 12, beginning in verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. Listen to these words. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Yes, O God. The Lord is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. Interestingly, in the Hebrew, this is amazing. It's beautiful. That the word that is used here in these verses and then 78 more times throughout the Old Testament is the word for salvation in the Hebrew, and it is Yeshua. Yeshua. Sound familiar? It should. I think there's a slide we'll put up that has a definition of the word from the New Testament theology, a dictionary of New Testament theology, defining the word salvation, the Hebrew word Yeshua, and it states it in this way. Whenever men by their own fault or through some superior power have come under the control of someone else and have lost their freedom to implement their will and decisions. And when their own resources are inadequate to deal with that other power, they can regain their freedom only by the intervention of a third party. Whenever men, by their own fault or through some superior power, have come under the control of someone else and have lost their freedom, they can regain their freedom only by the intervention of a third party. That's the essence of the meaning of the word salvation. This Hebrew word Yeshua that David and Moses and Solomon prayed of when he dedicated the temple and Hannah sang of when she thanked God for her son. And so for the nation of Israel throughout their history, 
even though it was very clearly man being the agent of salvation on Israel's behalf, God's delivering them from their enemies, from disease, from oppression, from danger, was always viewed, it was always viewed as coming from his hand. Even if it was another agent, another a king of some kind, or someone who actually was the one who helped them, Israel always knew that it was God who was saving them. For the nation of Israel, they saw God's salvation as part of his unique, listen, involvement in their history. That when he delivered them from disease and danger, it was a revelation to the nation of his character and of his love and of his will for them as a people. Their identity, and this is key, now listen to this, their identity was clearly that of being God's chosen people. And I ask myself this week, in the midst of what is going on right now on the earth, in the midst of what's going on in the United States, with what we've been dealing with and all that's happening, the identity of the nation of Israel throughout their history was always that of being God's chosen people. I ask you today, is that your identity? Do you view yourself that way, as being part of the church, knowing that you are redeemed in Christ? Do you understand and believe? And do you see yourself to be part of God's chosen people? They believed and they knew, listen, that God's hand was upon them in a very real way. They believed and they knew that God's hand was upon them in a very real way. I ask you, and I ask myself again this, do you believe? And do you know that God's hand is upon you in a very real way? You see, um, I'm not convinced that, that much of the church does. That might be a very vast gener generalization. Forgive me if it is. But when I read certain things that I read and I, watch, I see what's being written by many people, I wonder at times, do we really know that God's hand is upon the church through all of this, in the midst of this? And so as a people, as Israel trusted and they relied upon God to save them, they relied upon God to deliver them, to protect them from their enemies in whatever form, whatever, however that would come, whatever, whatever was coming against them, whatever they saw as, as from the hand of an enemy, they trusted and they believed that God would deliver them. They believed that God would bring them safely through whatever they were experiencing, whatever they were facing, whether it was disease or the oppressive powers of other armies or evil men or famine or even barrenness of womb. Their reliance was upon God. Listen, totally, and I ask you and I ask myself, is that true for me as well? Is my reliance fully upon him, or, do I, or am I looking somewhere else? And Matt preached about this last week when he preached on the faithfulness of God. How so easy it is for us to look other places, to try to find answers, to try to find help at times. And the essence of this thought that God is my salvation is that we look to him not only first, but we look to him only as the one in whom we trust. This text in Isaiah, just to give you a very quick a context, I mean, the context is important regarding this theme. Isaiah first prophesied about 740 B.C., 
which was 20 years before the northern kingdom was taken into exile by Assyria. And it was about 140 years before the southern kingdom went into exile in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. And the reason that this is significant is because Isaiah prophesied both the cause and the result of their coming captivity, of their upcoming captivity. And in his prophecy, Isaiah prophesied again and again a future salvation that would be the ultimate salvation of, the, of Israel, beyond even its deliverance from Assyria and Babylon. He prophesied a coming Messiah that this would shape actually the theology of the New Testament writers powerfully, what Isaiah prophesies of a coming Messiah. It shapes the New Testament theology more than any other prophet of the Old Testament. And so Isaiah is regarded by many as the theologian of the Old Testament. But he didn't prophesy just in an abstract way. He actually applied his understanding of what he was hearing by the Spirit of God and what he was apprehending of the truth of the nature of God and what was true for Israel. He, he actually applied this understanding to the practical issues at hand. Because he knew that Israel would face in the very short upcoming, its upcoming future, they would face events that would be so far beyond their control and so far out of their power that they had to know without a doubt not only why they were going into this captivity, but more importantly, what would be the result of it. And I guess I'm asking myself again these things as I pray during this season that we're in, am I understanding what God is doing? Am I, am I able to see the hand of God in the midst of this? Or am I just simply running into thoughts and running into opinions and running into uh, to news articles and running into political perspectives? Or am I, as a man of God, as a, as a son of God, as, as part of God's people, seeing what God is doing? And, and maybe even, listen, do I understand why it's happening? And can there be a practical application for me, for my family, for the church that will help us face the days that we live in and the days that are ahead? I put a slide up for you. There were three very basic themes. There were many themes throughout the prophecies of Isaiah, but three that, that I want to look at that were in chapter 12. First is very, one that is a theme throughout Scripture, obviously, is that God is the Holy One of Israel. And he uses this term, God, the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah uses it at least 26 times. Outside of Isaiah, it only occurs six times. The theme, the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah uses it 26 times. Outside of Isaiah, it's only found six times in the Old Testament. A second theme, which is what we're preaching and looking at today, is that of God as our Savior. God is our Redeemer. But a third theme that is, I think, so important and so profound and one we much, must think about, especially today, is the theme that God has a remnant. God has a remnant people. What does that mean, a remnant? 
Well, it's basically the people who survived some of the catastrophic judgment of God due to their sin. When, when Israel would go through what it would go through in catastrophes, in, in the wilderness with diseases, um, when, when they were judged in the book of Judges, following upon that again and again when they were uh, overtaken by their enemies. And then finally with the, uh, with the ultimate judgment being that of, of captivity by the Assyrians, the northern kingdom ceased to exist after that. The southern kingdom, uh, 140 years after Isaiah, going into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar, that was the hand of God upon that people. And there yet in the midst of that was a remnant, is the word that is used, who would become a nucleus, listen, a nucleus for the continuation of what God wanted to do through mankind, through his people upon the earth. Of course we know that's what Noah and his family were. When God judged the earth in the book of Genesis, and there was a remnant that was a family who survived, a righteous family, a righteous man and his family, who were then left to carry on as man for the purposes of God. That's what this represents, this remnant. It was a remnant who would inherit the promises of God afresh. And these promises would result in a new people who would come forth with these promises. The New Testament speaks of that, listen, as the new creation of God, which is what we are as the church. So this, these themes in Isaiah 12 of the Holy One of Israel as God of, as our Savior and our Redeemer and that God has a, has a remnant is, a, is a, a major theme that we find throughout Scripture, but especially here in Isaiah chapter 12. Now, just very quickly and simply before I get to this, the heart of the matter of this, I want to tell you that Isaiah 11 is the key to understanding the context of chapter 12. Because in Isaiah chapter 11, he speaks of the coming Messiah and his glorious kingdom. If you want to just look there with me in your Bibles, go back to chapter 11 very quickly. Speaking of this coming Messiah, now listen to what Isaiah prophesies of this coming Messiah and his glorious kingdom. He says in verse 1, he is said to be a root. Interesting word. I'll talk about that more in a moment. A root, a shoot that will come from a stump that appears to be dead from the line of Jesse. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots, and it shall bear fruit from the stump. It's almost as though something was cut down and it looks to be dead. You've seen a stump in your yard or somewhere where it's been, a tree's been cut down and all that remains is a stump. And suddenly out of that stump, something comes out of it. Because you see that the root is, is still alive, even though it's just a stump. It looks like it's dead, but it's not. That's the picture here. Something looked like it was done, but there was something still alive prophesying what would come from the lineage of Jesse. He says in verse 2 of chapter 11, regarding this coming kingdom and this coming Messiah, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 
And he says in verse 3, And his delight regarding this Messiah, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And now he describes in verses 3, the end of 3 and beginning of 4, this kingdom coming will be characterized, he says, by righteousness, justice, and faithfulness. Oh, God, how we need those three qualities today again in the earth. This is part of what is the inheritance of the people of God regarding the kingdom, the righteousness of God, the justice. God is a just God and the faithfulness of God. And then he says in verses 6 through 9, and his kingdom will be one of peace. And then beginning in verse 11 of chapter 11, he prophesies a remnant, a people that will be gathered from the four corners of the earth. Now, the book of Revelation speaks of this as well, that there will be a gathering, there will be a gathering. And with this gathering, there is great judgment. Listen. Now listen, please. Simultaneously to the gathering, there is great judgment upon the nations, upon the nations that oppressed the people of God. And that's the context of the gathering of the remnant in chapter 11 of Isaiah. And I want to say to you, that is also the context of the book of Revelation, of the coming gathering of the people of God from the four corners of the earth. It's when the judgment of God falls upon the nations of the earth that God is gathering his people from the four corners of the earth simultaneously. Can I say to you right now, I believe that is exactly what is happening. It's been happening since the church was birthed. It's not just something for the future. It's now what we live through. It's what the church has been living through already for two centuries. For two millennium, excuse me, 2,000 years, that God has been at work on the earth, judging the nations of the earth, Psalm 2. The nations rage, the Lord laughs, and simultaneously God is gathering to himself a remnant, a people who are saved, listen, through what is happening on the earth. That's us. That's us. And we know, of course, that this shoot, this branch, this, this thing that looks like it came out of something that was dead from the stump of Jesse is the Messiah who is fully revealed in the New Testament as the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Holy One of God who came to save a people to be his own, a peculiar people, a peculiar people, a remnant on the earth to testify of his message of justice, of righteousness, of faithfulness, and of forgiveness of sin forever. And three times, excuse me, these three themes of Isaiah 12 are found repeatedly throughout the New Testament in speaking of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus. These three themes of Isaiah 12 are found repeatedly throughout the New Testament. For example, in Luke 135. Slide, if you put that slide up for me, you got it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, the Holy One of Israel. 
For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The Lord is our salvation. And then 1 Peter 2, this theme is picked up by Peter. He says, for you are a chosen race, the remnant, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Listen, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So with the New Testament revelation of the person of Jesus Christ and the work of God in salvation came the full, listen, the full understanding of these words, God is my salvation. It was fully realized in the person of Jesus Christ. Read again the prologue of John's gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 19. Read those again. This revelation that God is my salvation is now the dominant theme of the New Testament, but it's summed up in a person. It's summed up in one man, in Jesus Christ. And now that's to be understood fully by the church, the full implication that God is my salvation. When I was a a brand new believer in 1975, when God intersected my life, when God found me, when I was not looking for him, when God sovereignly called me out of darkness into his light. All I knew at that moment, that to be saved meant to be forgiven. And that was all I needed to know at that moment. Because that's what I mostly needed, was to have my conscience cleansed and to know that I was forgiven and to know that I was free and to know that I was loved by God. But it's since then, in the years that have followed, now I've grown to come to understand what that means, that God is my salvation. And it's yes, it includes that. That's so important. But it's so much more than that. That it comes to the, you come to the point of where you, like Paul would say, Christ is my life. And the life that I live, I, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's, it's that he now has become my all. It's not just that he forgives me. That's an immature, that's a child's understanding. That's a baby's in, in understanding of, of, of what it means that God is my salvation, that, that I'm forgiven, that God saves me, yes. But it's so much more than that, so much greater than that. Salvation is now not just deliverance from trouble, but it's also deliverance from the power of sin. It's not, just now, it's not just now safety from earthly enemies, as it was for the Israelites, but it's safety from the ultimate enemy to my soul, Satan. It's not just healing of earthly disease and healing of physical barrenness, but it is healing from the effects of sin in my conscience and soul and from barrenness of spirit. It's an all-encompassing healing. It isn't just safety and deliverance from physical death, but it is security, listen, from eternal death. And so the Greek word for that Hebrew word, Yeshua, 
which is what the name of Jesus is. Jesus' name is Yeshua in Hebrew. God is my salvation. The Greek word is the Greek word soteria, which is the noun, or sozo, which is the verb. And it's an all-encompassing healing. In the New Testament, that word was used to describe physical healing. It was used to, to describe forgiveness being given. It was used to describe uh, deliverance coming. It, it was used in so many different ways because, you see, God is our salvation in an all-encompassing way in every area of our life. It's deliverance, it's preservation, it's safety, it's peace of mind. God is our salvation. God is my salvation. And I'm, I guess I'm a little concerned that, you know, I see even uh, fissures in relationships in the midst of the church, in the midst of this, with peop- from people with different perspectives and different opinions and maybe different politics. And, and even with those who are all brothers and sisters, redeemed by the same blood, I see I see fissures beginning to develop. And I would say to you, and I would say to my own heart, that the remedy to that is to keep our eyes on the one who is the greatest one, the one who is the answer for all of this, the one who is the answer for everything that not only we would need now, but what we will need in the future. Whatever may come, whatever may come, whatever may come, the answer will always be, Alone, the only answer, God is my salvation. God is my refuge. God is the rock of my salvation. And I will say to you, brothers and sisters, that was my testimony. That is my testimony. And that will be my testimony through all eternity. And they overcame him. Revelation 12, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of this testimony that God is my salvation and that they love their lives even to the point of death. There can be no greater declaration on the lips of the people of God in in this day just as there was no greater declaration that Moses could think to sing or David could think to sing or Hannah could think to pray or or, or Solomon could pray at the day of dedication than this confession, proclamation, declaration, God is my salvation. And you see, it means so much more than just what we have allowed our minds to think it means in our day. It's an all-encompassing term, an all-encompassing phrase. I want to close our meeting today. And again, we apologize for technical problems. We trust that that God is glorified even in the midst of them. I want to close our meeting today. Um, First, I'll pray. And then I want to have you watch a music video um, where there's a, a, a performance, a live worship singing a song that I'm sure is familiar to most of you. Um, and uh, uh, I chose a song that there's a many, there were many uh, YouTube 
videos of this one song, but I chose one that was a live worship concert uh, because there's no social distancing in heaven. And uh, I watched this, and it just made my heart long again for the time when we're together. Uh, And as Matt said, that's what we long for with communion. That's what communion as well means for us. It's a longing for what we hold to be true that we share when we are gathered as his church. And so I want you to watch this video. I'll pray. I want you to watch this video. I encourage you to, I hope you have good sound on your device. I encourage you to turn it up loud and to stand and to worship God and to worship with this thought that God is my salvation. The Lord is our salvation. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you today for the heritage that we share as the people of God with the saints who have gone before us. Men and women of God who knew you. Men and women of God who knew your character. Men and women of God who had come to understand that you alone was their, were, were their hope. That you alone, O oh God, were, were their rock and their salvation. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, the one who saves us, the one who is our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray in his name, that that would be the heart cry of your church in this day as well. Not just in the midst of this season of life that we are experiencing, but that it would become out of this season, the fruit of it would be that this becomes characteristic, Lord, of our hearts and our lives moving forward. That the first cry of our mouths, the first prayer from our lips would be, the Lord is my salvation. And that we would understand the full meaning of it. Lord Jesus, you are our Savior. You bore our sin on the cross. You gave yourself. You, Lord, were that shoot from the stump of Jesse. Your kingdom is the kingdom of righteousness and peace and justice, and of it there will be no end. And you alone today are worthy to be praised. Father, we pray for hearts who might be touched today through the preaching of the word of God who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ or hearts that have wandered away that you would touch them. Father, that you would speak to them and that you would open their eyes to see the truth of Jesus Christ. We pray that men and women who have never cried out this phrase, these words would cry them even today or tonight for the first time. God is my salvation, Yeshua. The Lord Jesus Christ saves me. We worship you. We love you. We thank you. We honor you. In Jesus' name. Enjoy this video. God bless you. We will see you next week. Have a great week.